got a problem. You don't know what to do. Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too. The world is full of mystery. Life's more than you can see. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. She's a priestess. Do you ever wonder what you're doing here and why you bothered to, to arrive on Earth? Do you ever wonder, you know, those during those difficult times, what you're doing and why you're here? Sometimes I wonder. And uh, when I wonder that, I have to think it through. I have to wonder, okay, I, I believe I, I have this sense and actually kind of know because I had some experiences outside my body that I came here on a, for a reason. I came here on purpose. I, I admit it. I did it to myself. I came here <laughs> willingly. No one forced me. And uh, when things fall apart, when things, when the crap hits the fan, when I am living in the tower card, which is a card in the tarot, that's about those times when the very foundations of your life crumble, the ones that you built, you know, meticulously built for yourself. You, you built these things, you know, so that you can become the person that you are, but the person you are is changing. And so whether you know it or not, here's the trick about it, whether you know it or not, the person you are is changing. And you might even be resistant to that change, like doing everything you can to stop it from changing. But what happens is the universe comes along and, you know, says, no, I'm going to give you an illness or no, I'm going to cause an arc car accident or I'm gonna, you're going to lose a job or uh, you're going to have some experience that's shattering to those foundations. And it's in those moments that I say to myself, self, what's going on here? Why did you, <laughs> why did you choose this human experience? Because the animal body, and I really have a very separate and I, and I, I kind of recommend this actually as a way to think about life. I have a really separate experience of it, of life. And especially when things are difficult or scary, uh, where my animal body has one experience and I'm an animal, I'm an animal body. It's of the earth. It's born from the earth. It's only going to live this one life at the end of its life. It's going to stop existing. It's the part of me that is the um, atheist, you know, it's like, look, I get to be born. I'm going to live one life. It's going to, at the end of it, I die and I don't, I don't exist after that. And that's my animal body. And then my spirit, which is having a totally different experience is <laughs> like, I am immortal. I come here. I take, I pour myself into the form of the animal body. I move through the experiences and then I take with me that beautiful, amazing growth uh, experiences that I came and all the love and the things I learned, I bring with me back to my people who are in another realm. And I, I actually find it helpful to experience, have both of those experience a little bit compartmentalized so that I notice what the animal body is going through. And I notice what the spirit is going through. Cause my spirit is like, yeah, it's all good. It's like, whatever. It's all a dream as the Buddhists say, you know, it's like, it's all beautiful. You're just in it. It doesn't really, it's as meaningful and profound as a dream in that you take the experience from it and the information and you're transformed by it, but it's not real. And then meanwhile, my animal body's uh, excuse me. It's real. It's real. It's real. <laughs> Where am I going to live? Where am I getting my food? Who's going to love me? Where's the warm spot? It's real. So, um, reconciling those two is quite the challenge. Um, and what tends to happen, I think, is the animal body wants to take over the whole thing because the animal body's got a lot more at stake, right? I mean, the animal body can get injured. The animal body is going to only have this experience and it really wants to have a good one. And it's not going to, it's not going to ever exist again. This body I'm in was never going to come back into life once it's kaput. Once it deteriorates into the earth, it's going to be something else. So, um, the question I always say to myself is like, what? okay, I agreed to this. My spirit's all fine with it. My animal body's not so into it. How do I reconcile the two? In other words, how do I roll with the punches of the foundations crumbling around me? Um, and the answer I have for that is, is to be in a place of really giving both parts of myself what they need in that given moment and not diminishing either one.
not telling my animal body, oh, it's all a dream, never mind animal body, never mind, you know, human self, and or nor not taking the challenge on um, and saying, no, you crazy spirit self, what, what do you want? What are you doing? You're crazy. This is really dangerous and stupid. I have to honor both parts of myself. I have to honor the spirit in me that wants to go through the transformation, that's willing to allow, allow those foundations to fall, that is taking in the beautiful view as I fall from the tower <laughs> and, I, and is looking at the gorgeousness and allow also my animal self to go, is there a safe place to land here somewhere? <laughs> and to reconcile both of them and to hold them both in, in um, a place of honor. And to know that they actually can get along and that there's a third party involved in this experience, which is the syner the synergistic, is that the word, the synergistic being that comes out of the two, the spirit and the animal come together and they make me, I'm, I'm the third thing, me, because in truth, I am both those things blended together and that it's my job to navigate this wonderful experience that we call life with all of its love and adventure and joys and pains and to and to be allowed to be both absolutely enthralled and amazed at how horribly painful life can be and at the same time be kind of like this is irritating and it makes me mad and hold both of those and see them both as whole and well and good um and also it's just fine for me to wish that the pain would stop. You know, it's not fun being pain and it's not fun being in loss and it's not fun going through the change that causes that, but I've never regretted. And here's, here's one of the ways that I can learn to reconcile these two, which is I have never regretted anything that's ever happened to me because I'm really invested in who I'm becoming. And so I look back on my life and I say, yep, that all happened and it's all a part of who I am. And therefore it is beautiful and amazing. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Your questions next to leave a question for me, dial five, two, zero, two, 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 99, 22, five, two, zero, two, 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 99, 22. You can ask pomegranate. Hi, I want to ask a question about releasing things, specifically about releasing people or relationships. I realize we're all one and therefore you can never remove anyone from you totally, but I'm talking about removing ties that bind someone to you closely in this lifetime for the purpose of preserving yourself. In my experience, I've found there are three ways to do this, so I'm sure there are many more. There's the cutting of ties, very aggressive, severing, you would sure the connection is not remade, the untying where you slowly, gently pull away and leave the option to reconnect if it becomes healthy to do so in the future. Then there's a combo method of the dissolving of ties where it's done slowly and gently, but there's no way to reconnect. I always have trouble telling which method to use. There are times I should have cut and instead I tried to untie and it was a big mess. There were ties that I cut in my aggressive reaction simply spawned a more aggressive reaction. I also have trouble reconciling my need to tell the person what they have done. I have a deep need to say, you did these things, they were wrong, they hurt me, I want you to know what you did. But that may not always be the best thing to do when you're trying to break ties in the most healing, healthy way possible. It may also not be possible because the person is no longer here. So what are some tools that we can use to determine when a tie needs to be broken, what is the best way to do it, and what can we do to meet our need to tell someone what they did when telling them isn't really an option? So it sounds like the question is, so I've got them. I don't want them in my life anymore. I may or may not want them back. Um, and then how do I how do I get, how do I do it? How do I let them go? And, and, you know, there's really no one way to do this. And there's really actually no right, right or wrong way to do this. It's like, um, there's an idea in psychology called the minimum effective response. And it's a really good, um, way to think about these problems. Because when you get in relationships with people that are like, yeah, this is too, this is, I'm done. I have learned what I need to learn from this person. And I am so done. I do not need to put myself in 
this environment anymore. Um, and especially if they've harmed you, because it sounds like you're talking about people who have actively harmed you and injured you, and then you've had to go and recover from that. Sometimes part of recovery is telling them, this is what you did. Um, and what you want to look for when you're making this move is you want to look for the minimum effective response to, in order to, so that you can be done. Cause really who cares what they think, right? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're out, you're out. You don't care what they think. What you care about is what you need. What do you need? Minimum effective response to release them from your life. And, um, so that's what I would ask myself. And if someone's dead, so it sounds like, cause I can no longer, they're no longer available for me to tell them what they did and how they harmed me. Um, actually I'll tell you that is actually a much more available person. Um, because generally speaking, because they've probably died. It's possible they've crossed over and now they're like, Oh man, you know, I got to repair this somehow. And so for you to tell them, uh, how you feel and what they did, they know, they know because they had a life review, they died. And if they crossed over, they went into the being a white light. This is what happens to you go into the being a white light and you have a life review and it's not a punishing experience. You go and you look from a very detached space where you realize, Oh, I did that. And it caused, and then you experience all the harm that you caused. Actually you experience it in your body. And then you go, Oh, I wish I could have done better. And then you want to do reparations. You know, you want to come back and do reparations. And then, so that person is probably, Either they're a ghost and they're trapped and they're a big mess, in which case you do not want to deal with them. Or they're waiting to do some reparation work. They're, they want you to know they understand. So what I would do if I had someone who was dead and I needed to speak to you about a harmful thing they had done to me is, and this is simple, 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 and it works. It works, people. You write a letter. Write a letter and burn it because that energy of writing it and then burning it is the energetic send-off, and they will receive the letter on the other side. They will. Um, and, and then if you want, you can be willing to receive a letter back from them, which will likely come to you in your dreams. Uh, but if you don't want to hear from them, you just set, put that in the letter. I never want to hear from you again. And you say what you wanted to say, say it any way you want to say it. This is how you harm me. This is what it did to me. Here's how angry I am with you. Here's how hurt I am by that. I, here's what I'm ready to release you of that karma. I'm ready, whatever you want to say. And I do not want to hear back from you or yes, send me a letter of apology. <laughs> You'll get one. If they're on the other side and they're okay, because everybody's okay on the other side once they cross, um, they'll, they'll, you'll be hearing. You'll hear from them um, in some interesting and magical way, either through a dream or another way. Uh, you know, it's interesting what things will happen. Some, suddenly someone will find money in their bank account unexpectedly, and that'll be them. Or they'll... Um, an unusual flower will blossom in their garden that they hadn't seen before, or they'll have a sudden spiritual experience um, somewhere sometime with a book falling out of a, a bookcase and opening up to a page um, or whatever, something along those lines, you'll get the apology. So definitely try that if they're dead. Um, as to how to release them and when's it best, is it best to cut, tie, sever, unbind, what their reaction is, da 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 You know what? Here's the deal. If you're done, you're done. And if it can be repaired, if it, you're so done that you have no, um, no thought that it can be repaired and it's the minimum effective response, um, it'll work itself out. Like, I mean, you just don't have to worry about that kind of thing, whether or not it's, um, uh, cut, sever, tie, whatever. It's like, you're done, honey. You're done. <laughs> Just be done. Give yourself the space to be done. And if you want to come back later, you can. And what I recommend that you try, what you realize, take it from this perspective. When ending a relationship, the least amount that you can do, the better, because after all, anything else is an investment. So, um, when a person comes to you and says, and I've had this happen where someone said, well, I, I no longer to be friends with you. Let's sit down and talk about it. <laughs> it's like, why? You, the friendship's ending. You don't need a long explanation. I, I'm not in your business anymore. Uh, you only want to sit down and have long conversations with people you want to get closer to, that you want to resolve issues with, that you want to bond with. And you don't want people in your life that take too much of that time out of, because if it takes that much time, the relationship is like going to be too difficult. So 
if you're ending a relationship, the least said the better. I always just do the little fade away. I, I just do the like, oh, you know, not really available thing. And, um, but it's also, if you want to, uh, and Miss Manners will support me in that. Miss Manners, where are you, Miss Manners? Yes, she's nodding her head. Yes, yes, certainly that's absolutely fine. Or you can just say, oh, you know, a little note saying, I'm wonderful. Our time together was wonderful. Uh, thank you so much. I won't be available. I find that actually causes a much more stronger reaction. Uh, but sometimes you do have to write the letter of release. You have to say, listen, uh, stop talking to me. Leave me alone. I don't, don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore because that's what you need. Because you need uh, the minimum effective response is for you to write the letter of goodbye. But only do that if you need it. Otherwise, just stop returning phone calls and emails and just be like, yeah, you're not really in my life. Uh, that's a perfectly fine way to move along. Certainly friendships. It's an absolutely fine way because friendships are not marriages. Sometimes we get in friendships and we think they're marriages and we have to go through this big thing to undo, but actually they don't have a contract. They come and go, they float in and they float out and they should be allowed to, they should be allowed to be flexible. They should be allowed to float in and float out according to what's going on in your life. If it's a family member, you might want to write a letter. It's up to you. Minimum effective response uh, for you because it's you taking the action for your life. And you have the right to end a conversation with anybody, anywhere, anytime. You have the right to end conversations with anybody, anywhere, anytime for any reason. You don't have to explain it. You just have to move on. You can ask Pomegranate 520-222-9922. Visit my website at askpomegranate.com. Hello, Pomegranate. I have a holiday-related question for you. I recently received a gift from my father, who I am not in touch with, and it feels a bit energetically wonky. It's a card, and it's also $100 in cash, and I can't just throw away the cash. That feels, well, hard to do. So I was wondering, what do you do with a gift from someone that you really don't want to receive a gift from? I appreciate your advice. Oh, a $100 gift from someone you don't want $100 from. That's a little bit of a fishing expedition, isn't it? Let me see if I put a little bait on the hook and I hook you in. Um, and it's your father. So that's that means that it is very likely very, um, what's the word, you know, packed with power. <laughs> you know, it's got energy, lots of energy packed into that issue because, you know, that's your father, somebody you agreed to come, whose DNA you agreed to share. So it's got power, um, which does not mean that you need to talk to your father. If you don't want to talk to him, you have the right, like I just said in the last podcast, to end any conversations with anybody, anytime, for any reason. So you are trying to be hooked. You're being baited by someone who wants your attention. And it's manipulative because they didn't say in the card, Hey, I know you're not talking to me. I understand that. Love to talk to you. Love to do repair work. Love to figure out what it is I did. Love to see if there's anything I can do to make anything better. Because I like to say this all the time. If there's an adult and there's a child, and even though the child has grown up, the adult is always responsible for the dynamic of that relationship because the power is always in the hands of the older person. Psychologically, when you grow up, adults are still very powerful. And so it's always in the, I'm always responsible for my role in my relationships with the people who, who were once children in my life. Even though they're adults now, I am responsible. I'm the one with the power um, psychologically. So your father is the one with the power psychologically. And he's, that's a misuse. Sending you $100 is a bit of a misuse. If it doesn't come with a law, it shouldn't, an apology should not come with a hundred dollars because that's like buying the apology to be accepted. So what do you do with the hundred dollars? And you don't want to get rid of it. Um, I have two choices. One, you can send it back and that's engaging by the way, and it's okay to engage that way. If that's what you need, uh, send it back and with a letter that says, no, don't do this again. It's engaging. You're engaging in a fight with that person. It's a bit of a power struggle when you send the money back. And it's okay if you want to do that. Um, 
you'll win because you don't have to accept anything else and you can always just never open another thing from him again. Um, or, um, you know, there's a potential here for a little magic and this is what I would do with it is I would go, okay, so this money is coming through my hands and it's energy. Money is energy. It's a spell. And I can like all things that I receive and that then I can then transform and then send them back out is I would take that money and I would just do a little prayer over it. I would clear the energy off that your father sent with it. And I would do a little prayer over it. And, and I would say, okay, I've got this money. I clear the energy of manipulation and enticement and buying being bought off and clear it, make it neutral. And then I would do something cool like, um, Oh, it's fun to do this. You take envelopes, uh, and you put the money in the envelope and you leave it somewhere and you say for you. And it, this used to be more fun in the eighties before all the weird poisoning stuff happened. Would anybody open it now? In the old days, people would open it. And, <laughs> and uh, you just put the $100. If, if, like, if there's somebody, or just give it to somebody who you know needs $100. Give it away. Definitely give it away. Don't You could burn it, but giving away is sort of the easiest way. Um, you could slip it into someone's back pocket. <laughs> Think of something fun to do with that $100 that involves giving it away. And that's a magical act. And, it, and it'll, it's very powerful and very healing for you. And you could also then write a letter to your father and just say, I don't want money from you. If there's a way that he can heal the relationship, you can write him a little letter saying, I don't want money. Please don't send me any money. Here's how you can heal the relationship and give him very specific this, this, and this simple things. If he can't heal the relationship, if it's gone too far, if it's too bad, it's too far. Don't respond, just ignore it and don't open anything from him again. If it's over, it's over. Don't receive any more information from him. And then with that, be aware, right? That he is your challenger, that you came into this, into this world in a karmic relationship with someone who was going to challenge you. And if what you need, if your genuine need is to not be in relationship with him, that's the power that you're trying to gain. You're trying to gain strength to say no to someone. And he, if he's that difficult, then he's the person that has come to be your challenger. And you are the person who has learned to say no. And you can say no and still be like, thank you. You know, be grateful. Thank you for doing your job of being my challenger so well that I absolutely had to learn how to say no to you. You know, people who we love sometimes are people who are too difficult to be around through alcoholism, drug abuse, mental illness, um, and, or just basically being really horrible, you know, but they're here for a reason and we can be mad at them and still be like, thank you still be grateful and still honor them and still honor their soul. Cause you know, he's on his own journey, whatever it may be. You can ask pomegranate. Hi, this is uh, Sarah calling from Portland, Oregon. And I would like you to talk more about sociopaths and psychopaths and what is up with our major media attention about them and um, I feel like there's there's a lot of information that we're missing here uh, but you have a lot to say about it thank you sociopaths are people who can't it, here's from from my standpoint are people who can't feel what other people are feeling. So they're the opposite. They're sort of the other end of the spectrum of an empath. An empath feels everybody, everything everybody's feeling. Most people are kind of in between, somewhere in between that spectrum, um, where they can kind of feel what other people feel and they actually kind of care about what other people feel, but they're not kind of inundated the way an empath would be by it. And a sociopath is way down at the other end. And a sociopath um, feels their feelings very acutely. Um, and they care very much about their own feelings, but they can't, it doesn't, they can't feel other people's feelings in their body when they get near them. They literally cannot feel what another person's feeling. So it's a shocker to me because it's so the uh, antithesis of what I am. And as a result, they don't care 
what other people feel. And in our culture, in Japanese culture, sociopaths don't get, they get taught how to handle that because the culture is very, very, very tribal. So um, you, they, they don't tend to be like they do in our culture. They don't tend to be honored and they don't tend to be like kind of, we kind of think they're sort of cool and slick and neat and awesome. And um, it's actually a serious problem to have somebody who doesn't care how other people feel because it, it's dis, it's too disconnected and it's a disability and you can be trained to understand, okay, you're having a feeling, see that feeling you're having and how acute it is for you. This has to be explained to them. Um, that feeling that other person there also feels and they, when you behave in this way, you, you make them feel bad the way you feel now. See? And so you can tell that and then you can teach sociopaths, look at the look at, you know, look at the expression on their face that expression is expressing that pain. So that feeling you're having is the feeling they're having. And then you have to, and then they have to relate to that and they have to go, and you cause that, and that's painful for them. And so you have to do this sort of long drawn out education of what it means. And it can be done. We don't do it here in, in the Western world. Um, we just, we just don't value it. We actually value a little bit of sociopathy. Um, so why is that? I mean, I think partly it's because of this uh, whole American dream thing that goes on. And the American dream thing, you know, comes out of a really good place, an important place. This idea that you can be anything you want, that you can actually try and achieve through through work and through um, desire. And uh, now as a, a little bit of ruthlessness or a lot of ruthlessness, you can achieve heights, no matter who you are, who you were born to or where you come from, you can achieve heights. And we've added in this extra little thing of if you're ruthless and you want to get there, that's okay too. Like Gordon Gecko says, greed is good, right? That was kind of, he was kind of a anti-hero hero. So, um, and that's a reaction against um, class systems and caste systems. And like in England where, you know, if you're born, if you're born poor, if you're born in the lower classes, that's God's will for you. And you can never achieve beyond that. And you shouldn't try. And if you do, you'll be very cast. You'll be even more cast down um, that you're born in the class you're from because that's that's God's will for you. You're actually a better soul if you're royal uh, as opposed to uh, in poverty, that actually it's a mark on your immortal soul. Right. And that's what, that's what the American culture is fighting against. It's just that we don't have to fight against that so much anymore. So can we like get a little back into, you know, perhaps acknowledging that we all should achieve together the entire, you know, the environment should achieve well-being that you can achieve well-being that anybody can achieve things, especially if we work together. So sociopaths don't feel, don't know that other people feel the way that they feel and they don't think that they should care and they have to be taught to care. And yes, our culture is very fixated on sociopaths right now. And I think um, it's because it's very much our shadow self. So culturally we are living with a very powerful, strong, uh, shadow self of the sociopath and all the way to psychopaths because psychopaths actually are people who not only do they not know other people have feelings, they don't care. And in fact, they get off on seeing other people in pain. That's a psychopath. Um, they like, they enjoy injuring others because, because that's when they can start to feel that other people also have feelings. Um, and they're, they're everywhere. This shadow being is everywhere and it's because what happened, what's happened is sociopaths have a, have like a free ride, uh, to power in this, in this culture, partly because of this combination of, uh, if you're ambitious and ruthless, you can get where you need to go combined with this puritanical Christian culture, not that there's anything wrong with puritanical Christians, but which is based on being nice to everybody. So like your value, you get value out of the, how nice you are, which is 
equal to creating doormats everywhere. The sociopath just walks around all over everybody because everybody else is so busy trying to be nice. The sociopath doesn't care. And meanwhile, also sociopaths tend to be very charismatic. So we kind of love them. We're getting love with them. So they rise to power and we got a lot of sociopaths in power right now, running corporations, running banks, like, you know, just thinking it's hilarious that people are losing their homes and that they can foreclose on them and gamble with their life savings. And just thinking that, you know, going to war and making a lot of money off of war. This is a problem. This is a very serious problem. And it comes up in our culture where every uh, TV show is about a sociopath and, and, and our, and it's actually, they're about our relationship with sociopaths, how we admire them and how we think they're really super cool and how we think they're really awesome. And yet at the same time, we're completely repelled by them because they're, you know, either sociopaths or psychopaths or completely horrific people and they cause nothing but destruction and it never gets any better. And this is what, why I think it's emerging in our culture. TV show after TV show after TV show is about sociopaths because it's the problem. It is the problem we're grappling with right now because greed is not good. Greed is an injury. Greed is a pain. Greed is a pain that kills, that kills everybody around you. It is not an emotion. It's just trying to stuff a pain full of something that will relieve the injury. And that's what, why I think what we're grappling with in a culture. And I think that one of the great evolutions that we're trying to achieve here, and if we can do it, we'll be great, which is heal, heal this sociopathic tendency and one thing is to educate sociopaths about how to be a part of the tribe, right? But the other thing is that's only one kind of sociopath. There's a whole nother kind of sociopath, which is actually more prevalent and more dangerous, which is this induced sociopathy. Because if we're just dealing with people who are just born that way, like that's, that's their disability. We can handle that. But mostly what we're dealing with is an induced sociopathy. And so that's a real problem where it's actually more functional to be sociopathic in this culture. You'll achieve more, get more money, get more fame, get more wealth, get more of this, get more of that, get further, stop walk on people if you don't feel their feelings. And this is what we do. We have to numb ourselves out to other people's feelings, other people's emotions, other people's well-being, um, numb ourselves from caring about our fellow tribal members, um, and we do that through all kinds of methods. One is just being raised in, an in a violent home and being raised in a violent culture. If you take the character so Tony Soprano, um, is he a sociopath or has he induced sociopathy? Is he a sociopath because he was born into a horrible, violent culture that he had to numb out and become sociopathic in order to survive? That's the question of that show for me. Um, or is he actually a sociopath? I mean, he's a horrible person in Breaking Bad. That's an induced sociopathy. That guy induces his own sociopathic nature. Um, and the other way that we induce it is by drugs and alcohol. Uh, drinking, becoming alcoholic or drug addict is essentially inducing sociopathy in yourself. And that's why the 12-step program is an active program of teaching people to re-engage with what they do and the consequences of their behavior. That is what the 12 steps do. You, you have an effect on others around you. When you take an action, it affects others. You can take responsibility for that. And when you make mistakes, you can heal that and recover from that. That's what they are. I, I know they seem quite mysterious, but that's all they are. So maybe we just all need to be practicing the 12 steps. <laughs> you know, everybody needs to, like, shouldn't the 12 steps being, be taught in grade five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? 10? You know? <laughs> wouldn't that be the most important thing to teach people um and so that's so that's so yes it's one of the big giant overarching questions of how do we evolve as humans and partly this is evolving our brain this is uh evolving the brain in your head and the brain in your gut because you know you're your um, heart is a brain and your intestinal system is a brain and your brain is a brain. And these three centers need to evolve. We need to evolve in order to evolve the entire planet into something that can grow and thrive for the human species. And if it can grow and thrive for the human species, it'll grow and thrive for everybody, every other species on the planet. But if we don't, then um, 
it's just, you know, it's not going to be as great a place. It, it probably will live and the species eventually will, some species will recover. But this is a really important crossroads that we're at. It's big. It's important. And one of the big questions is how do we teach each other to connect, to stay connected and stay, to care about each other uh, without being overwhelmed and swamped with each other, without, you know, being completely put under so that you can't move. And there is a way. There's a way to have boundaries, to be healthy, and to care deeply for your fellow humans. And so that that's that question is really great. It got me a chance to really rant on about my theories of sociopathy and why it's so prevalent in the culture. Thank you. You can ask pomegranate five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two Visit my website at askpomegranate.com. Hey, Tom. This is Miel Rose. I am a witch in Northampton, Massachusetts. And I have a question. Um, this past year, I've been teaching some basic witch skill classes. And in my class, when we were focusing on Earth, one of <clears throat> I was talking about the pentacle, and one of my students asked me, what the history of the pentacle was and how it came to be such an important and sacred symbol to witches, and I didn't have an answer for her. And I'm wondering what you have to say about that. Thanks so much. Bye. What I know about the pentacle is it's, okay, here's the thing. You have a bo- here, we're back to your body again, right? So um, in magic... And in the craft, the pentacle is a symbol of the earth. It's, there's elements. You're dealing with air, fire, water, and earth, and center. And those are the elements. And the pentacle, it's also in Tai Chi, I think, too, is the earth. And why do we, why do we think the star, that is the shape of a star, the five-pointed star, why, why, why is that so important to us? And what, and what is it? I, I have a question I don't actually have the answer to is, why, why, why are we so afraid of it? <laughs> why is it always used in movies as the dun, dun, dun? Well, um, put yourself, put your physical body in the shape of a jumping jack right now. And then go, voila! The reason why we think the star is so important and represents the earth is because it's you. It's your body. Your body is a star. Your body is a five-pointed star. Your body is... Um, that pentacle and that's your physical tool for moving through the world and so that's what it's all about um that's the energy that it holds it's like these five points and you at the end of each point your toes your fingers and the top of your head are where energy literally flies off of like i mean it, with intention your first wand is literally your hands your fingers the wand is where energy flies off of and again if we were to do an animation of you um and we were just to show how energy moves off of you um when you focus your energy on your fingertips like if you were to focus your energy on your hands right now um you're doing it i can tell because i suggested it so what that means is your hands are starting to warm up and that's because blood is flowing to them and blood is flowing to them because you put your attention to them you put your attention to your hands, see them tingling, they're tingling, right? And and your thoughts go to them and you're probably looking at them, probably holding them out in a certain angle. Ah, guess what? Blood's flowing to them. Energy's flowing to them. Now, if you were to take that energy and that that life vital life force, that heat, the oxygen, the water and the salt water in your blood and all of that that's pumping through your hands right now, all the nerve endings are getting fired up. Uh, the elect- you probably have an electrical uh, storm going on in those hands now because you're just bringing your attention to them. And you were to say, I, uh, <laughs> I think of something. I wish for the well-being of, I wish for the healing and the well-being of, and then just insert person's name or situation. And that now that's energy. And intention, your intention is, I would like to call in the well-being of, goes goes into the energy in your hands. Now breathe in, and as you breathe in, hold your hands out straight in front of you and send that energy out off your fingertips with a breath. 
Okay, now you should be feeling a shift in your hands, a little slight shift where that energy is now sending off. So that's a prayer. What we just did was a prayer using your pentacle. <laughs> your pentacle is your interaction, your hands. Think about your hands. And I mean, this is the big deal about the humans is they got that opposable thumb, right? It's pretty freaking cool. Opposable thumbs means we can make things with our hands really well. We're so good at it. We've looked at all the stuff we've made. No other creature makes stuff like we make them. Like that's the cool thing about the humans is they make crap, right? And that's your pent that's your wands. And that's the terminate. That's your pentacles. So the upper two points of your pentacles. Now we bring our attention to our head. We get the same thing in our head. It's got this huge brain in it. Also, I'm using it right now to communicate with you. I'm looking, I'm receiving uh, visual information. That's pretty cool. And that's like a really important point on your pentacle. Now, if we look at the feet, now do the same thing with your feet where you breathe in and your attention just goes to your feet, it goes to the bottoms of your feet and it goes to your toes and goes to the bottoms of your feet. And the, you know, and um, you have chakras on your feet, you have chakras in your hands, you have chakras on your feet and those chakras open and that's the energy that's the energy that you feel from an energetic standpoint it's the chakras that are pulsing from a physiological standpoint it's your feet are actually getting blood into them right now now this is going to be a little more subtle than the hands but you're going to start to feel that pulsing energy in your feet and that's for usually for connecting with a couple of things most importantly the planet from which you are living <laughs> remember that thing Remember that thing? Oh, oh yeah, planet Earth, right? Yeah, I happen to worship the Earth because um, I'm just practical. I like to worship what's around me. The Earth is big. It gave me life. Ah, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. I think I'll worship it. Yay, practical. I like to worship things I can see and feel. I can't. It's not so. Not so easy for me to connect with the big gray-haired guy in the sky. He's cool too, but I don't have. It's not so easy for me. But the earth, it's right there. It's very practical. I can connect with it. And your feet are opening in this moment because I'm suggesting to you that they do. They're opening and they're connecting to the vital life force of the earth. And again, you can let that, anything you don't need, you can let go through your feet. And you can also draw in life force and vital nurturing for yourself, for your own healing. The other thing opening your feet chakra does is it connects you with your life's path. Because you had a plan. You had a plan before you got here. And that plan has a path and there's some, and, uh, there's a multidimensional, um, l the world is multidimensional. So you could be living simultaneously in more than one dimension, uh, right now, one more, po more than one possibility. You could be living, um, one life and another life with two different paths simultaneously. And there's also the golden path. And that's what I love. I love the golden path. And the golden path is the path that will brings you to your highest self, raises the level, brings you up to your most uh, high sister, high sister man, high sister's personality. You know, it brings you up to your coolest self and it brings you up to your golden path, the golden road. And opening those feet chakras and remaining connected to that path um, helps you make choices and decisions in life. It helps you make, take the right step because the only way to get to where you want to go is to take the next step and it helps you take the right, the next right next step. And so opening those feet and calling in the golden road is another way to use this pentacle, to use this star, to use this tool of the earth. This is a tool of the earth. It's the star. It belongs to you. It's your body. It's not scary and dangerous. It's just fine. Um, of course I do know why it, got belittled and turned into the scary pentacle thing it, you know it's because it's with magic we're talking about self-empowerment and when you're dealing with um <laughs> with a religious culture that wants to disempower you so that they can enslave you and uh, stop you from finding your own way and so they can milk you for money and use you milk you for wealth and also scare you and own you um they're going to take symbols that are symbols of empowerment and make them seem really scary and that's all that's happened to the pearl pentacle it's just a five-pointed star people it's just a shape it's just math. It's just your body. It's just fine. And um, the history, I think I might, I'll do another show getting more of the history, I'm not a history buff. So I don't know all of the details of the history, but really it just rises up out of the most basic stuff. You breathe, the air belongs to you. It's your birthright. You, <laughs> you have electrical syn synapses and firing and your brain's working. Fire belongs to you. Water, you're made out of water. You're a walking sack of the earth, salt water. Earth 
you are a pentacle and that pentacle actually has power and you are empowered to call in the life that you want and to call in the healing that you want and to send out what you want through those wands, those fingertips and to express and create with those fingertips, with those hands and to experience, to take in, to be inspired by that head of yours, like that big old noggin up there. It's the, one of the points of the circle of the, of the pentacle, that big old noggin does so many cool things, right? Sees, eats, smells, hears, you know, all the ESP is up there, extra sensory perception. So, um, yeah, that's the story of the pentacle. You can ask pomegranate. To leave a question for me, dial 520-222-9922. 520-222-9922. Hi, Pomegranate. I think you have an interesting perspective on this question. I'd like to know, what is evil? And what power does evil have? I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you evil. <laughs> well, evil is one of those things. Okay. I, you know, all right. I believe in evil. I think there is evil. Um, but I'm not too impressed with it. I have to admit evil is one of those, um, things that has its own agenda. It's got its own script and evil wants you to believe that it's really powerful. It's like as powerful or more powerful or almost as powerful as good. And that it is the opposite of good and that there's like um good and then there's evil there's and those two things are equal and there's this epic battle between good and evil and uh yeah no <laughs> they're 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 not it's not that's not the way it is at all um evil is little and small and there are there are the and also there's a thing that looks a lot like evil that actually isn't evil. So let me get back to that in a second. But evil is little and small and pretty easy to eliminate and compared to, compared to love. And it is, evil is not the opposite of love, but the nature of the universe, the nature of all of the universes, the nature of our souls, the nature of everything, the thing that weaves and holds everything together in all the realms is love. And we know that. And all spiritual teachers will tell you that. All big spiritual teachers, they're all, they all, we all say the same thing. Love, 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 love. And so love is like, okay, love, love, right, love. And then we, but no one, let's talk about what love is. Like, what is love? And so love is in the human experience, because there's different dimensions of experiencing love. But in the human experience, love is a behavior. Okay, so when I talk about emotions, I don't list love as one of them because it's not an emotion. Love is uh, a behavior that expresses healing, that expresses well-being, that expresses the timelessness of all things and the basking in the knowledge that we are all connected and all is one and all is well. That's sort of what love is. And love is, love is the action of that expression in the human realm. Um, and evil is a challenger. And sometimes the, uh, trickster energy, which is not evil, will look just like evil. But evil is definitely a challenger. And it challenges you to get wrapped up in it and to believe its stories. It's like, it's such a liar. Evil is the action of damage, hurt, and, and um, corruption. To corrupt that which is whole and well, and to dissimilate it, destroy it, and or to attempt to destroy it, and to compartmentalize it and disconnect, cause disconnection from one thing from another. And it's the action in the human realm that's the action of that. And it's very small, it's very powerless, and it's really easy to conquer once you know that it's powerless. But as long as you listen to it, um, you'll start to believe its stories because it's very manipulative. It's an energy, it's an energetic pattern of manipulation. And so evil is not very big, it's not very important, but it's very, it can be quite powerful and impactful, but it's not as anywhere near, it's like a little tiny dot of sand in the, in the ocean of love. 
That is the predominant thing. And as long as you remember that, you can, you can let go of the evil and find the love. But when you're engaged with evil, you believe it. It's as strong and powerful as love. So um, it will challenge you. And what it challenges you do, to do is to become strong enough to not believe it. <laughs> to not believe in it. To not believe in stories. To not believe. And so, so evil will tell you things like, you know, uh, you're dumb. You're stupid. That's a benign. That's the benign evil that sort of like ongoingly talks. You're, you're ugly. Your body's not pretty. You're not of value. Um, nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Um, those are some things it says. Sometimes it'll say you're more important than anybody else. You're the most powerful being. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Um, heck with them. You know, you should just get your retribution. I mean, evil is sort of like sort of dumb. If you stop and you breathe and you ground and you feel that you, the truth of the universe is love and that you're gifted with life. And isn't that wonderful? If you even just bring one moment of gratitude for something you like in your life, evil will lose its grip on you. Just like so fast and so easily. Now, don't confuse evil with trickster energy. Trickster energy is an energy that comes into your life and can sometimes feel like it's a little like destructive, but actually it's tricking you into getting out of your complacency into patterns of thinking or ways of being that are no longer serving you. And that's real different. It's a little subtle, but it's real different, but evil's no big deal. The thing about it is don't get caught up in it. Just notice it. Be get, the skill around it is getting good at noticing when it's talking to you <laughs> and dismissing it. And the best way to dismiss it is to have a good laugh at its expense. It's just be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Is anything that ever tells you that you're not worthy, valuable, beautiful, amazing, um, blessed, loved, beloved, um, it's a lie. Oh, that's the other thing. Evil lies. But it's just little. It's just that, it's just that easy to let it go. It's just let it go. Let that lie go. Because the truth is you are loved. You know, because you're cool. You're cool. You're special. You're in a body. You're alive. You're on the adventure. You're driving the car, man. It's all good. You're in charge. The world's your oyster. <laughs> and anything that tells you otherwise is a lie. You can ask pomegranate. Sometimes life can seem like a fairy tale. You run into sociopaths and evil and you have to break up with your dad and you're falling out of a tower and your foundations are crumbling and all of it is a part of the adventure. The adventure of your life. And one way to look at it is just be really interested in everything that's happening as if it was a myth or a fairy tale. If this was a dream, what would it mean? That's something we say to ourselves a lot. Thanks for listening to my podcast. You can find me at askpomegranate.com. Oh, and I'd love to thank my primo engineer for engineering my show. It's wonderful. Thank you again. Yay! You can ask Pomegranate. Five two zero. Two 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 ninety nine twenty two.